0: We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. Our speaker today is the senior pastor, Tom Nelson. Take a look with me at um, Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30 and 31. And let me just get you a running start as to what this is about. What we looked at last week, and I'll just read this to you. The, the text from chapter 11 is, the ex, is to experience the blessing of being in the will of God, you need to merely follow the path of faithfulness. In other words, God will guide you into right or left decisions that are not biblically revealed. Should I go to Houston or Rice? You know, they'll, they'll give the Bible. God will guide you. All he asks you to do is to be faithful in what you do know, that the, God will guide you in right and left decisions When we follow the path of right and wrong, he'll lead you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Chapter 12 contrasts the way of faithfulness and the way of sin. The the broad way that leads to destruction, the narrow way that leads to life. And it does it in a couple of sentences. This is the most simplistic communication means in the Bible that there is. Right there with everything else. Nothing is as simple as Proverbs. They're like Ben Franklin's poor Richard's almanac. Uh, A penny saved is a penny earned. Early to bed, early to rise. Makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. You memorize it, then you know it. Uh, A fool and his money are soon parted. They're little Hershey's kisses. They're tasty. And the Bible drops little nuggets you that are easily digestible, that you can't miss. In Proverbs, it's like God as a grandfather has got his children up around him, and uh, he's giving them simple, contrasting ideas. You don't have to know Hebrew. You don't have to know the rest of your Bible even. They're self interpretive when you read them. They go straight into your decision process. They bypass everything. They go straight to your heart because they're the most important ideas. So in verse 30, let's begin here. In chapter 11, he says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. That just like the tree of life in the garden of Eden, it's beautiful. There's a promise that you eat it, you receive eternal life. It's like a form of communion with God, of faith in God. Eat that tree. Don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil where you're going to try to know right and wrong without me or the tree of secular humanism. Okay, so you take of the tree of life. Well, it says here that that tree continues in the righteous, that you look at him, at her. They are delightful. They're a delight to the eyes. And they're the ones that can bring you into fellowship with God. And so the righteous, like a tree of life, they impact all that are around them. All of you, the chances are, before you became a Christian and trusted Christ, you trusted a Christian. And it was because you didn't do an interview, you looked at them, and you listened to them, and you watched them, and you said, there's something different. The first verse ever spoken about Jesus Christ when he began his ministries in the gospel of John, it says that Andrew and John, that were disciples of John the Baptist, saw him and they followed him. And John the Baptist said, which was his job, Behold the Lamb of God, to take them from he is the last Old Testament prophet to the New Testament fulfillment. Follow him. And Jesus saw him following him. And he turned and he said, first words, What do you seek? Meaning, why are you following me? Are you trying to be healthy and prosperous? Why are you following me? You want political dominance over the Romans? What are you following me for? And they said, where are you staying? That's an odd statement. What are you seeking? You. And I want to I sit with you. Would you like to sit with Jesus for an hour and ask some questions? Yeah. I would like to sit with you and to talk with you. And Jesus said, come and you'll see. Follow me. And it says they came. They saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was the 10th hour. They never forgot it. And so that's what the tree of life is. You just see somebody and they become the salt of the earth. Salt in the Bible is what, it's the idea of giving flavor. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned as it were with salt. When you eat your eggs, you put salt on them. Eat your steak, you put salt on it. It makes it more tasty. Incidentally, that's how America got discovered. We had to get to the East to get some dang salt. Okay. Or or whatever, the the spices to put a little life in life. And so the salt of the earth uh, simply means that you make God tasty. That people want to know what is there about you that is like you are? What happened to you? And so the righteous are like a tree of life. And the reason they're like that in verse 30, he that is wise wins souls. They're not just righteous, but they're wise. You're attracted to them because of their righteousness. You inquire and you hear from them wisdom. Like Peter said, they give an account for the hope that is in them. And so when they speak, you now win souls. That's an Old Testament term for evangelism. Paul said, I've become all things to all men, then I may by all means win some. It's a word, the word win often in the Bible is translated as take. He that is wise takes souls. It's a military term that you transfer people from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son. At Mars Hill, it says Dionysius and Damaris followed after Paul and joined him. He won them over. And that's why you became a Christian. You saw something, you inquired, you heard something, and you said, I want to leave where I am, and I want to go to where he is. All right. It is the wise that wins souls. Daniel 12, 3. Those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the heavens in their expanse. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and forever. Those who have insight shine brightly. And those who then lead the many to righteousness are like stars in the heaven. All right. And so it's believed, incidentally, one commentator said, That this is where Christ got the statement to Peter, from now on you will be catching men. And so that's what we do. God has saved us and left us here to make an impact. You do it by putting God on display, conduct yourself with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. And then when they inquire, you share with them the truth of the gospel. And now they become part of the gang. All right? Well, In verse 31, that's incidentally, before you trust Christ, you trust a Christian. Always remember that. There are people watching you. In verse 31, this is why we need counsel and wisdom in this fallen world. Would y'all agree that our world needs some help right now? You know what we need? Some people that are from a different dimension that know God, put it on display, and tell them things they've never heard. Well, in verse 12, verse 1, uh, I'm sorry, verse 31, I'm getting old, okay. I really know my Bible. I just don't know where it's at anymore. Verse 31, here's why you need people to guide you. If the righteous will be recompensed or rewarded in the earth. Now, that is a term that is not a positive term in context. Because the next line says, How much more are the wicked and the sinners? The righteous are recompensed in the earth. One commentator said, Just because you are Christian, do not mean that you cannot shoot your foot off doing something stupid and immoral. Would you agree that just because you're a Christian, you are exempt from messing your life up royally? We still can do it. Ask Moses. Noah, who got drunk, Moses, who lost his temper, uh, Peter, who denied the Lord, uh, James and John, that said, could we please sit at your right hand and made everybody else mad, David and Bathsheba, Samson and Delilah, and Samson and his nameless 700 women. Okay. And so it's easy for a Christian to shoot his foot off. And so he says, if... The righteous can get recompensed. How much more are the wicked and the sinners? How many of you have loved ones that you have watched for the last 30 years get ground up in a chipper? Because they have gone somewhere they shouldn't gone with somebody they shouldn't be with, doing something they shouldn't be doing, and you can't talk them out of it. And now all you've got is a great big bloody patch of bone marrow. You'll remember that, okay? And that's all that's left. And you just wonder, how much damage can they do to themselves? Well, if it's tough for you, it's even tougher for the godless. And so we live in a world where people become, uh, what's the term? Indecent, and then they become immoral, and then they become violent, and then they have to change reality, defeat their sin, they become despairing, and then they become insane. All right? And we need people to help them. I was in a coaches' conference just a couple of weeks ago, a bunch of coaches, teachers in school. A woman looked at me and said, what would you do if you had a girl in your class that thought she was a cat? I said, excuse me, I thought you said. A woman had a kid thought he was a cat. Yeah. You what? See, I never dealt with this in the 60s. All right. She thinks she's a cat and she grooms herself and licks herself in class. And the administration demands she be given a litter box. I trust she never has to use it in class. I said, you're kidding. No. I said, that's unbelievable. Her husband was sitting right next to her and he goes, oh yeah, I got a raccoon in mine. I said, what? Yeah, kid's got a raccoon tail and he has to tuck it in before class. I said... I don't believe I have anything in my Bible or seminary notes to deal with you right here. And I kind of bounced it off some of our staff that are a lot younger than me, and they all went, oh, yeah, they're called Furbies. And I said, I have lived too long. And so we're in a world that has gone mad to where whenever you get rid of God, all you're going to be aware of is a sex drive and the fact that you're meaningless and you get angry. And so a person without God is basically Adams. He has no ultimate meaning. He's just a bunch of atoms with anger and a sex drive. So he's going to be perverse and he's going to be violent and he's going to be meaningless. And that's where we are. And we have made sure in our government, education, economic system, and all things We have made sure that we get these people, and we are the sane human beings. That's who we are. And so we're in need of—these people are in need of some answers. Where are they going to get their answers? Harvard? Yale? Hollywood? Nashville? Where are they going to get their answers? The Bible. It was James Dobson who once said, teach your kid before he starts off that life is loaded it's dangerous. Handle it with care. It can do things to you that no demon could. So be careful. So we're the guys with the answers. In verse one, so how do people learn? They learn by knowledge, by the Bible. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. What kind of people read their Bible. People that love discipline. They're looking for change. They are not contented that they're smart as they need to be, holy as they need to be, strong and insightful as they need to be. Like Paul, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. They're not content with who they are and they love discipline. And as a result, they are not complacent. But he that hates reproof is stupid wonder what that means the guy that is stupid is the guy that does sees no need to learn i know everything i've been everywhere i've met everyone i really don't need my bible that guy is not going to learn and so uh who's gonna get this truth Plato, 300 B.C., as we go through life, we learn the best opinions of men unless we have a more certain word of God, which we hold to as a ship in a storm. Nothing is greater than a God who will speak. And so, in verse 2, his blessing, therefore, is on the good man. He will obtain favor from God. The seeker, when I see a kid in our church that, you know... Loves the Lord, reads his Bible, respectful to his parents. I just look at him and say, kid, you're on the yellow brick road. You just stay there. Don't get in beyond your brains. Don't get talked out of your, the simplicity of life. Just stay where you are. Keep learning. So the blessing of God is on the seeker. How do your New Testament books begin? Grace to you and peace. Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow and respect the salvation. Hopefully you can be in your Christian life to where? After years, that you can take any place in your Bible and have somebody read it, and you can know approximately what book that they're in, that you should know your Bible that well. And you do that not by going to seminary. You do that by percolating. By every day, sometimes morning or evening, you spend time in your Bible. Okay. In other words, doing this instead of doing this. Okay. You read your Bible. And so the good man obtains favor, but God will condemn the man who devises evil. That man is alien to God. He is the walking dead. Ignorance is its own judgment. He will find nothing in a finite world to meet his needs. He is alien to God. In verse 3, the wicked, they will not be established by wickedness. In other words, guys that don't know God and wander off, they won't be established. They are light. They bounce around. They're flaky. They flit. They don't contribute. They are light and they are shallow. Do you know that the Hebrew word for glory is the same as the Hebrew word for weighty? W-E-I-G-H-T. That which is glorious is that which has substance. But the wicked are so often referred to as shaft. And they're gone. And so whenever I see a man, a woman that knows their Bible, walks with God, Those are the go-to guys that you can go to them and say, could you spend some time with, could you come talk to my son? Uh, Tell me, how did you get here? You want to know how those guys did it. And so, verse 3, the righteous have stability. The root of the righteous will not be moved. A root is something that you can't see, but it's an invisible source of strength. When you go down the road and you look at the median, what's always on the median? Grass, plants, trees. What's on the slopes on the side of the road going down to the road? Plants, grass, trees. They have roots and they hold in the soil. They bring stability. Whenever you have those fires in California and they burn off all the vegetation and then it rains, what do you got? Mudslides. There's nothing to hold in the 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 ground, and basically, that's what we're seeing in our culture. That roots are gone, and when trouble comes, down it comes. And so, these are your go-to guys: the old men in our church. I've watched the Jack Manises, the Ken Kofelts, the. Uh, uh, Dan Hefley's, the uh, Kendall Lucases, the guys that are ancient, okay? And whenever men have questions, they come to those men. I don't know how many times, Debbie, uh, Carolyn, that I came to your daddy, to Revo, because he was an old, faithful, beat-up guy who had walked with God. And I wanted to know what he thought about something. Same with your daddy, with Don Glenn. I wanted to know what he thought. Well, in verse 4, here's what sin can do if you don't get to it. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband. But she who shames him is like bone cancer. Continual pain as deep as you can go in his body. A man has to have a wife that is honorable. Nothing is a deeper pain than a man to marry a fool. Uh, they don't come to this service. We send them to other services. Foolish women. But nothing is more painful when your wife is your crown and she has nothing to look at. That's why if you want to compliment a man, you know how you do it? You say, buddy, my old buddy here, how did a tick-bit, shiftless, ignorant, Ugly fellow like you ever get Connie to marry him? Now, would you think that would insult him? No. But he goes, I'm uglier than you know. You ought to see me in the morning. He's so proud of Connie. Amen, fellas. You can't do it the other way. Darling, how did an ugly woman like you? (laughs) They just go off crying, you know. But that's what happens in a home. When sin gets in a home, a man inherits the wind who troubles his own house. A woman, the Bible says, a wise woman builds her house. A foolish one tears it down with her own hands. She can ruin it. Here's a good verse for you. Better to live in the corner of an attic than to live in a house with a godless woman. What that means is just move your stuff up on the roof and fence off about six square feet get you a Coleman stove and a toilet (laughs) and just live there. But get away from her. I've got a buddy. He's not in this church. He made a load of money and he married this woman that was the queen of the harpies. You know what a harpy is? He's a creature that comes down upon men, grabs them, takes them off and consumes them. And he married one. Okay. And she left him for another man. The divorce settlement, he gave her everything. Everything. And she moved off. One of his friends said, why did you give her everything? He said, I just wanted her away. I wanted her in California. I would have preferred the Aleutian Islands, but California will do. Just get her away from me. And I remember him saying, I wanted to be able to see her barely with a telescope. Just as far as I could get away. Better to live in the corner of an attic. And then Solomon said, that's not enough. Better to live in a desert place. Just go to the Mojave and let her have the rest. And you just live there with the iguanas. Okay. Well, be encouraged. And verse 5, but the thoughts of the righteous man are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Verse 4, you can ruin a home by an ignorant person. Verse 5, you ruin friendships. Bad guys are dangerous. The thoughts of the righteous are just. The counsels of the wicked are deceitful to get led astray. Verse goes like this, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Don't think it doesn't. He that walks with wise men will be wise. The companion of fools will suffer harm. We got to get you out of that gang because they're going to take you down. When I grew up in Waco, Texas, my mother, who could have been Douglas MacArthur, she uh, would say to us, don't you be hanging out with Sammy Hassel down at the end of the street, because he's got greasy hair, he comes back and smokes cigarettes, and he even cuts off his sleeves. Stay away from him. She said, don't hang out with Ronnie Jurjeff at the other end of the block. Because he's a thief. He sold, stole $1,100 from the church. Do not hang out with Ronnie Gurdjieff. Do not hang out with Donald Carnegie. Once again, him greasy hair, comb back, duck tails, cigarettes, sleeves cut off. He's going to hell. Okay. And especially don't you hang out with Corky Mahoney. Anybody know him? Run. Because he ran over our chicken with his lawnmower. Yeah. Yeah. Corky Mahoney. He became a Baptist pastor. <laughs> he did. Down South Texas. But you stay away from Corky Mahoney and his brother Marvin Mahoney. And you stay away from Jackie Bilbury, who was a bicycle thief that stole your little brother Billy's bicycle and daddy had to go up and knock on the door and get his bicycle. and He wrote a dirty word on our screen door. You stay away from him. Now you can hang out, mama said, with Joe Mitchell, who became a lawyer, or Fred Campbell, who became a doctor, or Jim Mason became a dermatologist, or Carl Chandler became a cop, but you can't hang out with any of them. Did any of y'all have mothers like that? Yeah, that drew the line, the companion of fools will suffer harm. All right. Oh, verse six. The righteous, they don't lead you into evil. The words of the righteous are the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the mouth of the upright will deliver them. Righteous guys are just the opposite. They don't lead you into sin. They stop you. And they go, whoa, whoa, can I talk to you just a second? That's going to get you in trouble right there. Uh, A guy named O.J. Simpson best athlete ever came out of California, got with a bad crowd, heading to jail. They got him in the presence of Willie Mays. He said, son, do you like this house? Sure do. It's big. It's nice. You know why? Because I learned how to play the game, keeping nose clean. You ain't going to get it unless you can make a right call. And he did for a little bit. But you, that's the righteous guy. Jim Elliott said, I don't want to be like a milestone that you pass by. I want to be a fork in the road that you make a decision over. I want to be a fork in the road. A wise guy will stop you where you are and say, can I look you in the eye for just a minute? Let me tell you something. Uh, Charles Spurgeon When he was a little boy went to a church at the age of 12. This is the greatest English preacher of the 19th century. And he uh, was just looking for truth. It was a Sunday morning. It was raining hard. Even the pastor didn't show up at this primitive Methodist church. He came and sat in the back. They got a cobbler to get up and give the message. He only knew one verse, look to me all ye ends of the earth and be saved. And that's the verse he preached on. Look to him from wherever you are and be saved. There is no other name. And it said that he looked around in the congregation for anybody who didn't know because there was only 12 people there on that stormy Sunday. And he saw this young boy sitting in the back and he pointed his finger at him. And Spurgeon said, he yelled at me as only a primitive Methodist can yell. And he said, young man, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus or forever be lost. And Charles Spurgeon said, and I did. And today, if you go to that old primitive Methodist church from the 1800s, there's a plaque. Here set. Charles Spurgeon. Question, who was the cobbler? We don't know. We don't know. But he stood to a young guy and said, you better, had a come-to-Jesus meeting, you better make a decision. Uh, If you were on a beach in Italy in the 5th century, You might run into a young man who was a Manichaean. He believed that there was no infinite God, but there was a force for evil and a force for good that were equal and opposite. And they were struggling for the soul of man that was corrupted. It's called Manichaeanism, dualism. We'd call it Taoism. All right. And a guy met him on the beach and saw where he was headed. He was a Manichaean. He said, you know, that won't work. Because you don't have a way, if they're equal and opposite, to say this is good and this is evil. How do you know that evil isn't good and good isn't evil? You have to have a good God that tells you what evil is and is sovereign over all things. And that has an answer and a redemption that he can do it. Your religion is despairing. And he challenged the young men. And he said, you need to go into Rome and sit in the presence of Bishop uh, Ambrose. And he did. Who challenged him. And he got saved. You know who the guy's name was? Augustine. The guy that shaped the earliest Christian systematic theology, Augustine. Who was the old man? We don't know. But it was a guy who stopped him and challenged him. And so that's what the good guys do. They make a difference. In verse 7, what will the wicked do? The wicked are overthrown and are no more. They'll fail you. That's why when you study history about philosophy economics and politics and nations, you don't have one book. You have a succession of books because the political system rises and goes. Economic system comes and goes. Philosophy comes and goes and they fall apart. None of them ever work. But as far as truth, we got what is called the Biblion, the book. They used to call the Bible the Biblia. The books, 66 of them. And then they said, no, they're one story. It's the book. So if you want to know the truth, all you got to do is go to this one. And so, the wicked are going to fail you, but, what does it say in verse 7? Uh, but the house of the righteous will stand. Does this remind you of somebody that said these words? He that hears my words and doesn't obey them is like a man who built his house in the sand. And the wind rises the floods come and great is the fall but he who built his house on my words like a man built his house on the rock and it stood that's where Jesus got this the wicked in time will go down on you it'll fall you never fool mother nature you never fool father time he'll get you they will not make further progress their folly will be obvious to all Paul about false teachers. Uh, And so if you're young today and you're listening to same-sex, transgender, pornography, counterculture, feminism, systematic or systemic racism, gender assignment ad infinitum, trust me, you better save your articles because it's going to go away because the returns aren't in yet on those. The early balloting is occurring and it's going to be ugly. It's going to come down. And so, the words of the righteous, they're going to stand. In verse 8, the righteous stand, and here's why. It says, a man will be praised according to his insight. A man is praised not because he just looks at the entities of life. Marriage, sex, gender, government, money, home, children. He sees the meaning. He sees inside of it. And he knows where man came from, where the universe came from, where a woman came from, what the family comes from. A child in the womb, Psalm 139, thou didst make me in the secret parts of the earth, in my mother's womb. He knows what a woman is. He knows what authority in the home is. Man was created first, then the woman, he loves her. She respects him. Children come out semi-normal. Okay, And so that's the way it's meant to be. He has insight. But one of perverse Heart who can't see, he will be despised. Ever so often, I listen to 60s music. Anybody else? All right. I've got what's called a serious deal on my phone. Or my, what do you call them? Your car, yeah. And I can, it's a woman's voice. She orbits the earth and speaks to me. Yeah, she's an Englishman. And I say, boop play Enlighten and I hear Bill Gaither. It just comes out of nowhere. It's amazing. And then I go boop, play 60s and I hear 60s. And you know what, I love, don't, don't email me, but I love the rock and roll. I love to listen to it until you start listening to the words. And then it's just insulting. And I always look at it and Teresa, says, what are you screaming about? I'm saying, you lied to me, Jimi Hendrix. Jim Morrison, you lied to me. Janis Joplin, you lied to me. That's why you all died at 27. You lied to me. John Lennon, bless your heart, you lied to me. And so they were young guys They didn't have any insight. It didn't work. And verse nine, now Elvis worked, okay. Ain't nothing about a hound dog. Ain't nothing you can do with that. No philosophy to it, you know. Uh, verse 9, it's better to be just middle class, to be lightly esteemed and have a servant. That meant that you had enough to get by and have a servant, but you weren't, in, I mean, you, you weren't fantastically wealthy. It's better to be middle class, have a servant, and to be lightly esteemed. To be respected where you are, successful where you are, and you're not trying to be flamboyant and draw all attention to yourself. Y'all ever watch those TV clips about people on the red carpet and you want to throw up? How surface can you be? You're better to have be secure in life and be lightly esteemed. Steve Poe, that's you. All right? You make enough to buy crunchy peanut butter, don't you? Sure you do. And yet you're not on any magazine covers. But you're esteemed. You and your wife, your wife ministers in counseling. You minister at the jail. Y'all touch lots of folks. And vision ministry, you worked there. First refuge, you work there. Just keep going, Steve. Where? been faithful a lot of places, but you're not on People Magazine. Better to be that person that is just faithful right where he is. My father-in-law, Ben Newman, he was a, on the board of East Texas Baptist University, on the board of Laterno uh, University, rural uh, electric out of East Texas. He was on their board, on the, on the school board of his city, a deacon in his church, he helped start Denton Bible Church with a gift to this church. Uh, he was a World War II veteran. Helped support Billy Graham, James Robinson. Uh, he was the the cornerstone of an entire community, and yet he really wasn't known outside of that community. He was the uh, he owned in his own oil company. I knew how to marry. Okay, he was very well off, but. We still have his ties that were clip ons. They probably cost $30 a gross. All right. We still, he probably never had a suit cost over $150. He would like, he liked to drive Cadillacs, but he used them like pickups. And he would get a new one and get all of his oily tools out of his old one and throw them in the back seat. And all of the, fruit that he had stuck under the front seat that had gotten black and smelly and he'd throw that in there he would have a cadillac but he wouldn't let the cadillac rule him all right Uh, he had a bronco that he would get our grandkids on the bronco and chase deer as they're clinging onto it he loved to do that i think cpc would take him away today or cps but that's the kind of guy he was he was well off He was modest, and he impacted people, but he didn't play the world's game. And nobody, your daddy was the same way. He was well-known where he is, but nobody knew Revo Stewart out there except the people he impacted. He didn't play their game. And so you're better off to be quality and not be flamboyant rather than the guy that honors himself, but he lacks bread. In Texas, we call it being all hat and no cattle, of calling all attention to yourself. But once you get under the surface, there's nothing there. Be real. And verse 10 A righteous man has regard for the life of his animal. Even the compassion of the wicked is cruel. Righteousness makes you loving. When you see yourself as in the image of God and other men in the image of God, you cannot respond to them too much in cruelty because you see who they are. They have great dignity. But with the wicked, he's not even kind to his animal. He's cruel. As a matter of fact, they have found that serial killers start off with cruelty to animals. He goes on in verse 11. He says, He that tills his land will have plenty of bread. It affects you in your your social life. If you want to have plenty of bread, till your land, plant your seed, water it, fertilize it, weed it, watch over it, build your scarecrows, and in time it comes up. It's called responsibility. It's called a work ethic. As opposed to, verse 11, he that pursues worthless things lacks sense this person has no heart they just want to get rich quick on easy street so the bible will affect your reputation the bible will affect your relationship to people your bible will affect in verse 12 it says the wicked man desires the booty of evil men it's really difficult when you get a kid in a gang to get him to get out of the gang because in his neighborhood, a lot of times, the guy with all the bling, the guy gets the honor. It's the pusher, the pimp, the extortioner, the whatever, the thief, the guy that fences stuff. That's the guy that gets the glamor. Uh, you ever heard of Henry Hill? He was the guy that blew the whistle on the mob up in New Jersey. Uh, He was the later contemporary of uh, Joe Valachie. And uh, he was the one that they made the movie about called Goodfellas, don't watch it, okay. Goodfellas, and it starts off with Henry Hill saying, "'I used to look out my window as a kid "'and I saw the gangsters. "'And from as early as I can remember, "'I wanted to be a gangster because they had the cars, "'they had the women, they had the clothes. "'They never seemed to go to work. But they had everything. And by the end of the movie, he is on witness protection and he has lost everything. And so the wicked man desires the wealth of the evil. But the root of the righteous, it yields fruit. The guy that has got his roots down in time, this guy makes marvelous impacts in life by knowing God. Uh, y'all know who Bear Bryant is? Greatest coach, college coach of all time, I think. Used to coach at A&M, okay? He left a and and he went to Alabama. And at Alabama, you recruit the best that want to go to Alabama. And when you recruit them, he said, a lot of times a kid will sit down with you, kind of cocky and want to know what you can do for him. Alabama or Auburn or Florida State, where should I go? What can you do for me? What can you promise me? And Bear Bryant said, as soon as you see that, you don't want him. You don't want a kid that's going to use the system. He said, one time he said, I can smell a winner across the room. I know who he is. Because that was the way Bear Bryant was. And he said one time he had to sign a guy. And if you were around in the 60s, you remember Ray Perkins. He was an All American. His quarterback was Kenny Stabler. Played wide receiver. He was from the state of Alabama. Went on to the Baltimore Colts. Then he coached the Baltimore Colts. Was immensely successful. Ray Perkins. Wasn't real big, but just a hustler. And Bear Bryant said, I went to talk to him to recruit him. And I went to, because when Bear Bryant wanted a kid, He would go visit him. It was like Moses. All right. And so he would go see you. And he said, I'll come to your house. And he said, I can't see you. I'll be working. Where you be working at? Filling station. So he went to the filling station. And they directed him over to the Dairy Queen. We'll go get a hamburger. So Bryant said, I waited at the Dairy Queen and I saw this kid. Good looking kid, strong, physique, walking. Had a t-shirt covered with grease, gloves put in his pocket had his hands washed off. He had been changing tires and changing oil. And he came and sat down with me and grabbed my hand. And he just looked at me and he said, if I come to Alabama, will I get a chance? He said, what do you mean? He said, I don't need no promises from you. I need to know that you'll give me a chance. If I need to sit on the bench, you sit me on the bench. But if I can play, I need to play. Now, will you give me a chance? To be what I am. Brian said, you got that promise. Meeting's over. I'll be there. You want to sign a letter of intent? He said, I don't need to sign anything. I just told you. I'll be there. Brian said he was a boy, He was a man in a boy's body. And he ended up becoming Ray Perkins. And that's what you look for. A kid that says, give me a chance. Well, I'm done. That's some good stuff, isn't it? Each line is a sermon. And now let's do what we hadn't done for two years. Let's have communion passed out to us by faithful and hygienic men. We disinfected them, sandblasted some of them. We had them dipped. Father in heaven, what a marvelous section of the Bible. Like God the grandpa sitting with his children at his feet, and just saying, "Uh, you better know your Bible, and you better apply your Bible, and you better not listen to Vegas, LA, DC, New York, or Harvard, because they're going to come and go like they always have. But you better listen to the words of the copybook headings, the truths that are immortally there. Remember those who led you and who spoke the Word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith, for Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I thank you for the eternal truth. As the king of Persia said to Ezra, that you hold the wisdom of God in thy hand. And indeed we do. All flesh is like grass and its glory like the flower of grass. And the grass withers and the flower fades. But the one who does the word of God shall abide forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. And so now like newborn babes, long... For the pure milk of the word. Root us, establish us. And God, for these little boys and girls, for these little junior high kids and high school kids and these college kids, these international students, these young couples, oh God. When so many of us were young, the the schools, the teams, the the city aided us in child rearing. And now they have become our greatest adversaries. Help us, God. You chose us and you left us here in this generation to build a sanctuary, a monastery, and to sortie out into people's lives. Let us not lose that privilege. And Father, we'll ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.